0: It's the most wonderful time of the year, the song says. And you wonder, why is that? He tells us. He says there are kids jingle-belling, everyone telling you be of good cheer. Friends come to call. They they make it the happiest season of all. There's parties for hosting and marshmallows for toasting and caroling out in the snow. That's why he says the most wonderful time of the year. Some folks would disagree. The retailers, for example, they would say it's the most wonderful time of the year because sales, you know, this is the big time. If, if, they, if they don't make it at Christmas, most retailers die. The travel industry thinks it's all about the record numbers of folks who are on the road, in the air, traveling and That's what makes it the most wonderful time of the year. Most kids would say it's the most wonderful time of the year because there's no school. Yes! And there's presents and toys and snow. (laughs) What a a great gift we weren't expecting this year, especially since it hadn't rained since like January of last year or something. It was (laughs) nice to have some snow. Most of the Christmas movies and TV specials that purport to tell us and remind us of the real meaning of Christmas would say that what makes this the most wonderful time and a special time is it's all about kindness and family and sharing and giving and caring. Of course, the politically correct answer is you can't talk about Christmas. It's a happy holiday and a time to have some days off work and enjoy friends and family. The very fact that you all are here on Christmas Eve morning says you probably would say that Christmas is all about Jesus Christ. It's Christ-must. We celebrate the birth of our Savior Jesus. The world makes a big deal, a huge deal about Christmas but in fact they know little of the central figure of Christmas. As we were being reminded just a few minutes ago, it's not about just a baby. It's about Jesus Christ, the King of glory, our Savior. We've been studying some names, some descriptions that John uses for Jesus in the opening of his Gospel. I encourage you, if you would, to open your Bibles To the Gospel of John in chapter 1. John in these, in these, in the prologue here, the opening of his Gospel, uses names, descriptions for Jesus that give us marvelous insight into the purpose, the richness, and the awesome wonder of the entrance of Jesus Christ into this world. I've challenged us, I've encouraged us, I've double-dog dared us this month to put these first five verses of this Gospel to memory. And so I'd like for us this morning to read them again. We've been reading them every time we get together, trying to help stimulate those brain cells and cement it in our minds. So let's read together these verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This morning, the verse we're going to focus on is that fourth verse. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. John introduces here in this verse a theme that he doesn't really develop in these early verses much more, so I won't spend a lot of time in John chapter 1 this morning because he develops it really all the way through the book. This week, I I skimmed through the Gospel of John. I counted at least 31 times where John connects Jesus and life. He puts those two together. Jesus and life. He says here, in Him, in Jesus was life. That life was the light of men. Jesus is the life. John, in his letter, he wrote three little letters toward the end of the New Testament. We find them, first, second, and third John. They're so appropriately named since he wrote them. And in first John, he says this, verse two of chapter one. He says, This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life. Which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Jesus is the life. Life, he is saying then, in a way, it is intrinsically connected with Jesus. Not in some weird Eastern mysticism way, you know, where they, you know, God is a flower. Oh, a flower, it's God. It's not that kind of weird stuff. But in a very, a very plain way that you and I can understand, Jesus is intrinsically connected to life. Let me just explain a few that that are here in the Gospel of John. The first, and we noted just a couple of weeks ago, over in in, in earlier in verse three here of John chapter one, where he says that. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the maker of life. He is the creator of everything, so He is the giver of life. He breathed life into man. And He gives life to whomever He pleases. Jesus says in John chapter 5 and verse 21, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whomever He is pleased to give it. One of the key things that we've already seen and that John is carefully helping us to understand is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God, and just as God gave life, Jesus Gave life as God created, Jesus created, as God can give life to whomever He pleases, so can Jesus. The reality of the fact that Jesus is the source and the giver of life is graphically illustrated. It's demonstrated in John chapter 11. You know the story. As Jesus gets word that His friend Lazarus is dying, they say, come quickly. And Jesus says, you know, guys, let's just hang out for a couple of days. Lazarus dies, and then after Lazarus dies, Jesus says, it's time for us to go to Bethany. He grabs the disciples, they go down to Bethany, and the folks meet him there. They say, where were you, Jesus? Why weren't you here? If you'd come, surely Lazarus wouldn't have died. He could have saved him. Jesus, of course, he, he, he said he had done it on purpose. He did it to demonstrate that he is the giver of life. There that day, four days after Lazarus was dead and buried in the tomb, he says, roll the stone away and he brings Lazarus to life from the dead. It's there to, to, to emphasize, to illustrate, and to prove that Jesus is indeed who He said. He is the giver of life. But John goes on and lets us know that Jesus is the sustainer of life. He's the one that keeps life going. The writer of Hebrews says this, Hebrews chapter 1, he says, "...but in these last days He, that God, has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, and through whom He has made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word." It's saying that Jesus is God. In a way that we can see Him, for no man can see God, but Jesus has come in the flesh so we can see Him and and behold, behold His glory. It says this Jesus, He is before all things, He, by, he sustains all things by His powerful Word. He doesn't just, didn't just start life going and then move on, leaving life to somehow fend for itself. Because the reality is life cannot continue on its own, apart from Him, because everything is dependent upon Him for its existence, for Him to sustain us. Colossians says a similar thing. It says this, "...for by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and here it is, in Him all things hold together." In other words, if Jesus ceased sustaining everything, if He quit actively holding everything together we would just fly apart. We would end immediately. He's the giver of life. He's the sustainer of life. There's another thing that's significant about Jesus and life, and it's to understand this, that Jesus is self-existent in His life. He created life and all life depends upon Him, but He Himself is dependent upon no one and no thing. All creatures derive their life from, from Him, but His life comes from no one else. It is inherent in Him and inherent to Him. Jesus has life in Himself. Self-existent, self-sufficient. John 5.26 says, For as the Father has life in Himself, so He's granted the Son to have life in Himself. God the Father, God the Son, both have life in themselves. It is inherent in who they are. They are not dependent on anyone else. Even as a man, Jesus could not have His life taken from Him. He instead laid it down. John chapter 10, Jesus said, For this reason the Father loves Me, because I lay down My life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from Me, but I lay it down of My own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from My Father. Remember on the cross, as Jesus is there, He doesn't say Jesus died. It says Jesus gave up the ghost. He laid down His life. Jesus is the life, the giver of life, the sustainer of life. He is self-existent in life. There's another unmistakable truth that is here in John that is this that you and I are dying when we began this study a few weeks ago we noted that John as he as he writes this prologue to his gospel John lays it out to mirror to parallel the very first chapter of the Bible the, the beginning of Genesis John does that deliberately He begins. he begins just as a as the book of Genesis begins, in the beginning. And as the book of Genesis goes on and it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John, as he begins, says, in the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning and all things were made by Him. He moves to the fact that in the beginning, Jesus, who is God, Jesus is the Creator. He made everything. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. It's significant to understand that He's the Creator. But John wants us to understand and to follow along what happens as we go through creation. Genesis chapter 2, God is speaking and He says right after He created Adam, right after he created man, God gave this command to Adam. He says, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Most of you probably know the rest of the story. Genesis chapter 3 comes along and... Adam and Eve did. They ate of that tree they were not to eat of. And just as God said, sin and death and corruption entered into creation. So ever since this world has been marred by sin and plagued by death, sin separated them and us from God, the life. And ever since, we are a dying When our kids were little, one of our family traditions was every Christmas we would go out as a family and we would go find and cut down our Christmas tree. Just for the record, we did it on tree farms. We paid for them. There was no tree rustling, you know, no guy standing by the side of the road cursing and shaking his fist as we drive off, uh, you know, no, none of that. But I, I think it's ironic that we go and cut down a Christmas tree, bring it home, set it up on a stand in our living room and say, we have a live Christmas tree. You <laughs> know, The tree is still green. The branches are still pliable and bendable. It still drinks water through its trunk, but you've got to leave it sitting in a tub of water. It has signs of life, but actually, the tree is dead. It may not be totally dead yet, but it's as good as dead. It still has a few life functions, but it is. Toast. Doom is sealed. It has been unplugged. It's been cut from the source of its life, the roots. As humans, we are like that Christmas tree. Sin cut us off from God. It cut us off from Jesus. We were spiritually separated, cut off from the source of life. That's what happened when sin happened in Genesis chapter 3 and it entered into and infected every one of us. We are still physically alive. We look alive. We still have some life processes going on in us, although sometimes some of us look rather questionable especially at about this point during the sermon, some of you are kind of like... (laughs) We're physically alive, but we are dying and we are ultimately doomed. See, that's one thing that John wants us to understand as he develops here who Jesus is and He parallels this with creation because He wants us to go back and remember that we were created in the image of God. We were created perfect. We were designed to live forever. But God said, don't do this because if you do, you sin. And when you sin, you die. We are all here caught in the grips of sin and death. John has wanted us to see clearly who Jesus is so that we can clearly understand why He came. Jesus did not come just to live a human life for fun, for sport, like maybe... You and I might think of doing as we like to sometimes create little things. As kids we like to create a little play world with girls with dolls, guys with, you know, soldiers and and cowboys and whatever, and we like to build little worlds, and sometimes we think it'd be fun if we could just kind of you know down and go into that little world. Wouldn't that be fun? That's not what Jesus did. I wonder what it'd be like to be a human now that I've created this universe and these people. I think I'll go be one. Not it. John wants us to clearly understand when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, that He came for a purpose and a reason. Jesus, the life, came to a dying people to give life. We're dead. As for you, Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. Bible tells us three ways that we were dead because of sin. We are spiritually dead. We have no relationship with God like that Christmas tree cut off from the roots. Isaiah 59 says this, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden your face, His face from you so that He will not hear. Sin separates us from God. Cuts us off from the source of life. We're spiritually dead. We're not only spiritually dead, we are in the process of physical death. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2, one of my favorite little passages in there. He says it's better to go to a funeral than to go to a party. You go, what? Why in the world is that? He says, because death is the destiny of every man. And the living should take this to heart. As living people, we need to understand. We need to constantly remember death is the ultimate statistic. One out of one, people die. We better be thinking and ready for what comes next. What comes next is this. We are headed for eternal death. Separation from God. Hell. The wages of sin is death speaking there of hell, eternal death. Hell is our destiny. It's what we have earned because of our sin. Again, John wants us to understand where we're headed. We're dying. We need life. And Jesus came as life to give life to the dying. the end of the book of John, John chapter 20, John writes these words. He says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book. He says, he goes on, he says, even if we tried, I don't think there would be enough paper and pens and stuff in the world to contain all that's there. He goes on. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in His name. Jesus says, John says, the reason I'm writing this is so that you'll have life in Jesus because that's why Jesus came. He came to give life to folks who are dying. The life that Jesus gives is manifest. It shows up in three different ways. Spiritual life. Again, we've been cut off from the Father. It says here in John, back in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, look at what he says. He says, But to all who did receive him, he says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to those who did receive him, who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The Creator. Became man in order to recreate us, to give us new life through a new birth. But did you see what the point of the new birth is? He says, He gave the right to become children of God, born not of blood or the will of flesh and the will of man, but of God. We're born so that we can be God's children. See, the point of the new birth is to give us a new relationship with God. It's to restore the broken relationship. It's to reconnect the severed relationship between us and God, between us and our source of life. That's why it says God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's in the presence, present tense. When you and I trust Jesus Christ, we immediately come into relationship with Him and that connection to our source of life is restored. Imagine being able to take that Christmas tree you cut down and took into your living room and you set it up and then after, you know, it's just sitting there, the branches are all shrunk up, the pine needles have all fallen fallen off, it looks like that Charlie Brown Christmas tree and you... You can take it back out in the backyard and just stick it back on the stump there. And it's connected again and life comes into it. In a sense, that's what Jesus has enabled through His sacrifice for us. Secondly, Jesus came not only to restore that connection and give a spiritual life, Jesus came... To give us abundant life, full life, meaningful life. John chapter 10 verse 10 says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. People long for life that is full, fulfilling, purposeful. They desperately try to, to, to fill their life with all kinds of stuff, hoping that with this experience, with that experience, with this possession, with that possession, with this, You know, whatever it is, this relationship, they try all these things, trying to get life that has some kind of meaning, has some kind of purpose, has some kind of fulfillment, some kind of significance. But without Jesus Christ, life is empty. And it's an exercise in futility to try to fill it with anything else. Jesus said it this way, John chapter 15, He says, I am the vine, you are the branches, He who abides in Me and I in Him, He bears much fruit. For apart from Me, you can do nothing. If you're connected to Me, you have life. As He said in John 10, it's life to the full. But apart from Me, life is empty. You can do nothing. Jesus promises here that with Him, this very brief, and I can tell you as a guy now 61 years old, life is brief. I've told many of you before, I remember it was just a few years ago, my mom at that time, 92 years old, said "I always she thought she was dying. She said, I always knew this day would come, I just didn't think it would come so soon. Well, God's given her four more years now, she's still around. And if she had her mind, she'd say the same thing. It happens quickly. This life is over. But Jesus here says this very quick, brief, physical, mortal life of ours can be full and fruitful and have eternal significance. He says it can bear much fruit if we're connected to Him. But apart from Him, nothing. Thirdly, Jesus came not only to bring spiritual life and abundant life, He has come to bring eternal life. Jesus said, John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in Me will never die. Jesus is the life. We are dying. But Jesus came to give life. What does all this have to do with us? What does it mean as we come here on this Christmas Eve? First thing that it should do is it should cause you and me to fall on our knees in wonder and in worship. This is the most wonderful time of the year because the Lord of life came to live among us. To suffer... And to die for us in our place so that we can have life. If you believe that at all, it ought to drop you to your knees this Christmas. Why would he care that much? I have no clue. But he did. And he says he did because he loved us. He loves us. Secondly, these truths ought to call us to re examine our hearts this Christmas. First, ask and ask this question Are you, am I, trusting Jesus? Jesus addressed some very religious people. And this is what He said to them. John chapter 5. You diligently study the Scriptures because you think by them you possess eternal life. These are the Scriptures that testify about Me and yet you refuse to come to Me to have life. Tragic words. He's he's talking to some folks who were, were incredibly religious. Some of them perhaps Very sincerely so. They sincerely studied the Scriptures. They would say they believed the Bible was the Word of God. Yet, they were trusting in their religion to save them. They knew about God, but they didn't know God. They had studied about the coming Messiah and they looked forward to the coming Messiah But Messiah, Jesus, came and they rejected Him. They turned away. What I realize is it's possible to go to church. It's possible to be religious. It's possible to do good things, good works. It's possible to study, even to memorize the Bible, and yet to reject. Or even reject by simply ignoring Jesus. The life, the only one who gives life. So I have two questions for you this morning. Are you trusting Jesus as your Savior? Today's the perfect day if you've never done this to. Come before God and to say, You know, God, I, I understand, I realize now, I am a sinner. And I've been cut off from you because of sin, and I can't fix it. But you sent Jesus to pay for my sin so that I can be born again into your family, and be connected to you. I receive him. I trust Jesus as my Savior. There's the promise here in John chapter 1 as many as receive Him, to them He gave the right, the privilege, the guarantee to your child of God. This Christmas, if you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior, it's His invitation, it's His gift to you. Life. Secondly, second question, are you trusting Jesus with your life? Are you following Jesus fully and completely, or are you trying to live life on your own terms? It's really an oxymoron. It doesn't go together to say, "I believe in Jesus, but I'm not following Him." And yet, there are scores of people who name the Christ, who, who name Christ. They say, I'm a Christian, and they do exactly that. I believe in Jesus, but no heart to follow Him. So I ask you this morning, are you trusting Jesus with your life? Do you believe what He says? Apart from Him, you can do nothing. Life is empty, worthless. Or, or are you trusting Him with your life? Abiding in Him, He says, living in Him. Christmas remember Jesus came to give life and it's only in him that we find real life father thank you so much for loving us that you sent Jesus the eternal God became man we don't understand how that works but you did not giving up deity, but adding humanity to Your deity. You came and lived among us and You suffered and You died in our place. The death that we should have died, You took upon Yourself. So that as we receive as we, the gift of Jesus, as we trust in Him, we can have life. New life, restored life, abundant life, and eternal life. That's the real present, the real gift of Christmas. Father, may there not be one person here this morning who who leaves here without accepting, receiving that gift and embracing that gift so we live in Christ. Then may we this day in a very special way. Worship You for the gift of Christ. In His name we ask.